1: KQED.
2: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva has lost his re-election bid to his opponent Robert Luna, who continued to hold a commanding lead as the vote count continued. My California Report colleague Saul Gonzalez tells us more about the defeated incumbent. Saul?
0: Mati, during his 4 years serving as sheriff of Los Angeles County, Alex Villanueva became synonymous with controversy and turmoil. His critics accused Villanueva of having an authoritarian streak and engaging in a pattern of unconstitutional policing that turned a blind eye to excessive use of force by deputies. He was also accused of encouraging a lack of accountability and transparency in department operations. Villanueva also had a rotten relationship with LA County supervisors and the commission charged with civilian oversight of the sheriff's department. That culminated in Villanueva opening up investigations into people he perceived as political enemies. In his concession speech, Villanueva portrayed himself as the victim of a sustained smear campaign, both by the press and L.A. County's political establishment. The incoming sheriff, Robert Luna, was chief of the Long Beach Police Department for seven years before his retirement last year. Luna promises a more collaborative and open leadership style when he's sworn into office and a lot less drama. Maddie,
2: Thanks, Saul. As votes continue to be tallied, it's looking like Californians are on track to elect the most diverse legislature in state history. CalMatters' Ariel Gans has the details. We know at least 43 female candidates out of 120 are on track for election. That's a state record already, but as many as 52 female candidates could take office once all the votes are counted. Eight LGBTQ candidates are also on track for election, and if that happens, California will be the first state to achieve proportional LGBTQ representation in its legislature. So it'll be interesting to see how having a more representative government will translate to policy in Sacramento. That's CalMatters' Ariel Gans. You can find more on this story at calmatters.org.
0: Showing your support is easy and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org/podcast.
2: So maybe you've seen the protests that erupt sometimes outside a new coffee shop or upscale restaurant in a transitional neighborhood. Well, activists in Los Angeles say they've noticed a pattern. When a restaurant offering, say, $30 entrees opens in a working-class neighborhood, rents start to rise faster, there are more evictions, and longtime locals are forced to leave. Some restaurants are now trying hard to limit their impact on gentrification. But is it enough? Or will their presence always be problematic? KCRW's Megan Jamerson takes the story from here.
1: John Arquiza was one of around two dozen protesters who showed up in June when a restaurant called Dunsmore opened up. He says a restaurant with $40 entrees isn't culturally relevant to Glassell Park's residents.
0: You're talking about a class of people who have way more income, way more assets and way more resources. Uh, into a neighborhood that to them is an opportunity. It's a value for them.
1: Urquiza says real estate that's a value for outsiders is just one or two rent hikes away from eviction for locals. He's a photojournalist, and he experienced this firsthand when he lost his photography studio in Highland Park because of rising rents. In Glassell Park, the restaurant Dunsmore offered their employees a living wage, and after the protests, they hosted a community dinner. Urquiza is very skeptical that these gestures of goodwill make a difference.
0: How do you balance the displacement you create versus the uh, exploitation you're having on the community or the exploitation you're doing on the community?
1: The building where the restaurant is located is quickly filling up with new tenants. One of those businesses is a bustling breakfast and sandwich spot modeled after an old school diner. It's called Bub and Grandma's and the owner is Andy Caden.
0: I don't want to take advantage of anyone in order for this business to be successful.
1: One of the first decisions his team made was to keep the menu affordable. He says sandwiches are around $12 because that's what people were already paying in the neighborhood. Also, locals get a 5% discount when they show the cashier a blue metal keychain that has the words Bub's Local etched into it. He's given out 500 so far.
0: It wasn't like we weren't going to engage with them anyway, but now it's like all the more imperative that everyone who lives here already knows that we're thinking of them.
1: These questions are things that every entrepreneur should be asking themselves before they open, says Chef Jenny Dorsey. She coaches hospitality businesses in New York City and Los Angeles to take active steps to use their business as a force for community building and fighting displacement. As a result of perhaps not Intentionally thinking about community investment, it becomes a complicit vehicle for gentrification. But there are limits to good intentions. Barney Santos is acutely aware of this.
0: It's tough. It's really tough.
1: Santos and his wife started a consulting business to bring economic development to Montebello. His wife grew up in this historically working-class Latino city. Together, they bought some property in Montebello. They decided to start with community input before coming up with a plan for what to do with it. The biggest takeaway was that millennials like him wanted a community gathering place centered around food. A lot
0: of people my age and younger were getting degrees at high at high rates. We're becoming upperly mobile.
1: So they created Boulevard Market. It's a food hall and business incubator space. Santos says he's been approached by some new homeowners in the area who say they moved here because of the market.
0: At the back of my mind, I can't help but think, like, what did we do? Did we open the gates also? As intentional and as responsible as we are, are we also contributing?
1: Restaurants can stand fully with the community, but it will take more than that to stop gentrification, says Jenny Dorsey. Hospitality Business owners are not going to fix gentrification. Like, it would be great if they could, you know, but that's just not how it works. Instead, she says restaurant owners could do a lot to create systemic change. If they hire locally, one place to start is working with the local tenants union. There, business owners can help keep the workers they employ in the neighborhood. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson.
2: And that's the California Report for Wednesday, November 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Bolanos. Thanks for listening.
1: Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Paint Care now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel falcor II, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmitocean.org.